All right, so we're going to continue on in our study. We're in Proverbs chapter 3, and as a way of uh, just introducing our time and kind of getting our thinking moving in a certain direction, um, I'm going to start with a fairly broad question. Um, What is it that distinguishes us from the general, let's call it the general created animal kingdom, aside from, you know... uh, we don't have scales like fish or gills. We don't breathe underwater. What, what are, what's fundamentally different about us? We have reasoning abilities. That's it. So in that reasoning capacity, you, you don't, for example, you don't find um, you know, a squirrel on the side of the road you know, sitting there thinking, you know, is my life on track? Um, am I really accomplishing all that I need to accomplish as a squirrel today? But we, on the other hand, are very reflective in our thinking, right? We think about our lives. We think about the trajectory of our lives. We think about uh, how we're doing in life. We think about what, me- what measures of success we're applying to our lives and how we're doing against those measures. We have this capacity that God has given us to reflect upon our lives. So in that vein, um, what, what is happiness, How would you characterize happiness? And what place does happiness have in your life and in this reflective process? Or what are some of the ways, what are things that make you happy? Or you might broaden it and ask the question, what are some of the most common pursuits, the most common things in life that most people attribute to happiness or to making them happy? Differentiating us from the animals, our happiness can come temporal, same with the animals. But our happiness also comes spiritual, is the acknowledgement that God exists. Mm-hmm. We have a relationship to that God. The animals don't show that so, evidence that in any way. So an important distinction there between a temporal happiness versus a more substantive happiness, a more fundamental happiness, a more core happiness. Um, and again, happiness I, outside of the cosmos. Okay. Joy is a better word for that. Yeah, I do understand that happiness can, can conjure up in our minds things that, you know, are very fleeting, uh, very temporal. But the fact of the matter is, or is it not indeed true that if, if just observationally, forget you know empirical data, forget studies, research, whatever. Just observationally, is it not indeed true that most people, most people, are in pursuit of happiness or something that makes them happy, that makes them either feel euphoric and happy, or that makes them feel like they have arrived at some state of being of happiness. That's really. That's really what people do. That's really what occupies people's thinking. They may not, and we may not, pinpoint it in that way. We may not articulate it in that way. But that, in fact, is often what is a driving passion, a driving pursuit uh, for most people. When we come to uh, this passage in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, we start off with some instruction in happiness. 
we actually have uh, the very beginning here what is a Hebrew beatitude. You think of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, it begins with blessed are you. Blessed is he. Blessed. This term blessed. Well, this starts in the same way. Let's read the entire passage together. And I think I'm just going to go through um, chapter 26. So we'll start in verse 13 and go down, go down through chapter 26. And we'll start our discussion around this, this issue of, of happiness. Verse 13 of chapter 3 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped dew upon the earth, dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So this section really is highlighting once again, and this is what happens over and over again in Proverbs to varying degrees and in varying ways, this highlighting of the value of wisdom, the supreme value of wisdom. You see this uh, highlighted in this section, and you really have it broken down, I think the best sort of breakdown that I came across was seeing this as the value of wisdom to mankind in general, and then the next section is the value of wisdom to the Creator, and then this third section in highlighting the value of wisdom is the value of wisdom to the Son who's, who's receiving this counsel, who's receiving this instruction. So you have this broad sort of mankind value that's identified or highlighted, Then you have value of wisdom to God himself, and then the value of wisdom to the individual son, who is the object of this instruction. The last section of chapter 3, we'll talk about this probably next time, is really the practice of of wisdom among neighbors. So you have this whole sort of speech, this whole instruction, and it's really starting with putting, putting the value of wisdom on display, and then it concludes in the last section with instruction in wisdom. And we talked about this last time and about how uh, trusting in the Lord and leaning leaning not on your own understanding, not being wise in your own eyes, making a complete investment of yourself and your full trust in God and in His wisdom is part and parcel to gaining wisdom. It's, it's It's inherent in the pursuit and gaining of wisdom. Well, in this case... The, the, the writer, the Sol, uh, Solomon himself, is saying, look, if you, if you trust, then you will value. And here's some examples of how valuable wisdom is. And so he's introducing further wise instruction with putting this value of wisdom on display. And he starts off with this Hebrew beatitude, this statement about happiness. And he says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom in verse 13. 
And then he concludes in verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So you have like bookends this statement about blessing or happiness. When you look at this term, in Hebrew, it's also translated happy uh, in Scripture. It's translated both blessed and happy throughout Scripture. And it ha- it, it's defined as happy. The New Testament Greek term that you see in the Beatitudes is this idea of happiness, of deep happiness, of being blissful, or really, to the, literally in, in the Greek term, it's, it's translated to be enlarged. And, and it's in the Sermon on the Mount, it refers to something obviously much more profound and totally not superficial. It refers to a state of spiritual well-being. This happiness, it's a deep, profound joy. And so what we see in our, our culture and in our experience and what has been true for time and memoriam is that people are oftentimes in pursuit of happiness, but they're not pursuing wisdom. How do you define wisdom? How do I define wisdom? Um, the application of knowledge, of God's, of God's knowledge of God and His ways. Do you God's knowledge, the knowledge of God, or would that be overall education, etc.? Um... Are you asking, can you, is there wisdom apart from God? Or I'm not sure what you're asking. No, I'm talking about academic studies, for example. Would you consider that wisdom, or is that not what the writer here is talking about? I would say, insofar as academic studies um, are in reference to God as the ultimate source of knowledge, then yes, it's wise. If it's an extension then of God's truth, that's right. It's wisdom. But it doesn't mean that people are. Um, applying that knowledge in wisdom. In fact, what I, we talked about last time, when you look at a lot of these different academic studies that occur, there's a lot of great data that's mined. There's a lot of great information that's culled. And when, when you start reading the different uh, um, points of analysis of just the data itself, it's very, very informative. It's very, very helpful. But then typically what also is corresponding to that study are conclusions that are being drawn. So whoever is conducting the study, whether it's an individual or it's a collection of people, if they are not, um, if they are not connected to uh, the truth of God, if they're not con- connected to objective, absolute truth, then what ends up happening is this data and this information that's very, very informative and very helpful and accurate. And truthful in its essence, it leads to conclusions that are flawed and faulty. And that, that to me is where you see the repeated disconnect. So you can have people that are pursuing and, and learning things that are tied to truth, but what they do with that knowledge, how they apply that knowledge, the conclusions they draw about that knowledge, apart from God, detached from reference to their creator, is where they become fools. So knowledge is really something you acquire in the way of information. But how you apply that depends on whether you're wise and have wisdom or... And not just apply, but 
draw your conclusions as to what it means. We're getting into the weeds, I'm sorry. Yep, <laughs> a little bit. So let's, let's keep going with this idea of, of happiness and this, this connection of it being a pursuit of wisdom. So it's, it's a state of being here, this, this principle of blessedness. It, it's, it's not just an emotion. It's not just a temporary uh, consequence of some good decision. Uh, for example, um, if you made a good, a good investment and it paid off really, really well, you might experience a moment or a period of time of emotional surface level type bliss or enjoyment as a fruit of that, that wise decision. But what, what Scripture speaks of, both in Proverbs here in this chapter, but also in the New Testament, is a totally different idea. It's an actual fundamental core state of being. And in fact, when you look at this sort of this bookend structure here, verse 13 and verse 18, where verse 13 says that blessed is the one, and then verse 18, those who hold fast are called blessed, you have, you have the, this, this idea of the blessedness or the happiness that comes in the pursuit of wisdom and the blessedness or happiness that comes through the retention or the retaining of wisdom. Now, there are implications to this when you think about the gaining of wisdom and the retaining of wisdom. Happiness, and we've talked about this before too, even you can, if you go back to, to chapter 2, the very beginning of chapter 2, happiness, blessedness, this state of fundamental joy and bliss in God is not just found in this thing called wisdom that we latch on to. This, this entity called wisdom, but it's also found in the actual pursuit of it. And that's so important for us to recognize and remember that, that when you look at uh, chapter 2 and it speaks of the, the supreme importance, the conditions of pursuing wisdom, if you pursue it, if you go after it like it's treasure, like it's of supreme value, there's this attachment of joy, of of benefit, of blessing that's tied to the actual pursuit itself. It's not just in the actual acquisition of the thing, it's in the pursuing after it. It's in the seeking after it. It's in the process of learning and growing that we find this blessedness, that we we experience this profound happiness. Happiness is also found in the actual um, acquisition of wisdom. And here's what I mean by that. Um, it, the affirmation that comes from wise living is, is, an, is a contributor to that deep blessedness, that deep happiness. The, this, the general affirm, affirmation that comes in life from just living in wisdom, living out wise ways, there's an affirmation there of that that brings a sense of contentedness and happiness. There's, there's the honor that comes from being a source of wise counsel. So, to the extent that you are pursuing wisdom, there is happiness, there is blessedness to be gained and realized in that pursuit. But then in the acquisition of and application of wisdom, there is also blessedness. And one example would be, those who are wise are often honored for the counsel that they give. They're given honor and, and praise for that. 
They're affirmed in that. And they see, they get to enjoy the fruit in the lives of others as they heed that counsel that God has grown them in and given them to pass on to others. There's the actual blessedness or happiness that comes in the fruitful application of wisdom. So in acquiring wisdom and becoming more wise, and there's fruitfulness that comes in life. It's all in this passage. It's all throughout Proverbs. It's all throughout Scripture. And so there's a happiness that comes in the pursuit, also in the acquisition. But again, as it says in verse 18, it talks about retaining wisdom. It says that those who hold fast to wisdom are called blessed. That those who grasp onto it, who cling to it. Now, there are implications to this principle, and that's this, that wisdom is not a destination that you arrive at, and we've talked about this before. Wisdom is not some place that you arrive at. So, you know, maybe you, you, you reach, you know, 50 or 55 or 60 or 65, and now you're wise, and so there you're done. Now, the implication here is that this blessedness comes in the, in the retaining it, Meaning that there's, there's a humility that corresponds to the wise, that they never believe that they've got all the wisdom that they need, that the pursuit never concludes, it never ends. There's a happiness that's found in this humility of ongoing growth and wisdom, this perpetual openness and submission to wisdom. No matter how much wisdom someone has obtained over years and years and years of pursuit, they're still open. They're still open to counsel. They're still pursuing. They're still growing. There's a humility there. There's a blessedness. There's a a happiness that comes in in the heart and mind of one who has the humility and the dependence upon God to know that they still need to be in pursuit of wisdom. So it's a full circle. You can see how when you start thinking about and comparing this kind of happiness, this kind of blessedness to what the world often ascribes to happiness, you can clearly see that this is, a, this is an ongoing, in-depth, greater measure of depth building of that blessed, blissful happiness that comes in the pursuit of, the acquisition of, and the constant growth and retention of wisdom. And they all, all that feeds upon the, the other. There's also an implication here that wisdom is not something that you can just assume that you will always have. Right? I mean, we can't just assume that just because we've arrived at some you know place of age and maturity or we've been faithfully walking with the Lord and studying Scripture and and applying principles of truth to our lives for years, and maybe we've been counselors to people and and we've seen the fruit of that wise counsel. That doesn't mean that that is some kind of permanent state of being that you can just sit back on your laurels and just, I've arrived. The implication of this passage is, is that it's the, the, the wise person is someone that not only pursues it and finds joy in the pursuit, not only finds joy and happiness in the actual acquisition and application and use or employment of wisdom, but they're in constant pursuit of it and trying to hold on to wisdom. They're trying to retain it. They're holding fast to it. And this is really the, the epitome of 
the blessed life. And then in verse 14, you start to see this reward, the rewards from it. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Again, ascribing this immense value. Now, the implication here, especially in verse 15, is that our desires compete with the pursuit and acquisition of wisdom. The passage says that she's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So there's an element of caution here for us, that you and I have desires, and those desires, if you think about it, especially desires of our flesh, they are often associated in our minds in, a, in an unwise way with some kind of happiness. The pursuit of the desires of our flesh, we somehow attach it to some degree or some measure of happiness. Otherwise, what's the point of the desire, right? Our desires that crave some, some version of happiness are in direct competition with the pursuit and acquisition and retention of wisdom. Because the, the, the wise counsel of the Father here is, hey, listen, just recognize that what I'm talking about is of much greater value than your desires. So there's a caution there. Our desires compete with the pursuit and acquisition of wisdom. It's the idea of, if I this, then that. We have a tendency to fall into the trap of of believing, though we wouldn't in our lofty spiritual mindset in a room like this admit to it, right? We fall into the trap, into these ruts of thinking that will lead us to believe that the acquisition of some material thing, some earthly state, some earthly place, it might be a job or it might be a relationship or it might be some kind of material possession, And we literally attach to that thing, that that earthly, material, temporal thing, a person, a destination, a job, some material possession, some acquisition of some, some notion of financial security, all these things, we ascribe that that, that that is going to yield up to us some fundamental core sense of happiness. We wouldn't say that because we know better, right? We know we shouldn't say that out loud. We know that we are not to love the world nor the things in the world. We, we, can, we can cite the verses. But the reality is, if we really are honest about the tracks of thinking that we can fall into, that we do fall into the if-then, if I get this, if I have that, if I meet the right person, if I get the right job, then, then some positive happiness-inducing outcome will ensue. Not the case. Not the case. That's not to say that there's, there's something wrong with you know, desiring good relationships or pursuing a, a better job or anything like that. It's not to, it's not to downplay the, the meaningfulness of those things or the importance of those things in life, but it's the attachment that we put on it that we ascribe to these things something way more than what it can deliver. Way more than what it can deliver. Always. How many times have you arrived at that destination? Have you obtained that state? Have you 
entered into that relationship? Have you gotten that trinket toy and the shine wears off? Right? We've seen it over and over again. And yet, and yet, we fall into the same tracks of thinking over and over again. We just get more sophisticated at covering it up and veiling it with, you know, rationalization or yeah. over-spiritualizing it. That's right. And our imagination is always ahead of reality. That's right. I love what um, Bruce Waltke said about this, about this, this idea of profit. It says the gain, in verse 14, the gain from her is better than gain from silver. This is the idea of profiting. This is a net profit. It's a net gain idea. It's a financial term. He says, uh, Waltke says, the metaphor of the profit that she gives, the profit that wisdom gives, or the, uh, the English Standard Version says the gain from her, This metaphor, whose root meaning refers to trade, it points to both the trade of buying wisdom and the trade gained by employing it as a means to the abundant life. It is better than the profit of silver. And listen to this. I thought this is a really good way to put this. It is better than the profit of silver because money can put food on the table, but not fellowship around it. A house, but not a home. And give a woman jewelry, but not the love she really desires, that she really wants. And therein lies the distinction. So this idea of gaining wisdom, it's better than anything material. Always and forever. And in fact, our desires compete with that truth principle all the time. We ascribe happiness to some material thing routinely in our thinking. And so Solomon is warning his son against that. Your desire will compete with this pursuit of wisdom always. Well, that's kind of the summary of the value of wisdom to mankind in general. It's a, it's a profit. It's a gain that's better than any gain of material things. It's a precious gain. It identifies long life in the right hand, meaning that this is, a, this is an image in verse 16 of, of the right hand being the, the strong hand. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a significant, um, it's, in, it's, it's in degree of importance. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. So this, this principle, this personification of wisdom gives this, this imagery of all the things that you sort of selfishly and foolishly pursue in the material world, whether it be through people or through places or through things or what have you, are held in the hands of wisdom, is the idea. Long life. This idea of long life, we talked about this last week, it's a life of substance, of richness, of fullness. It's just not a... a, a an idea or a metaphor for length of days. And it's in her hand that are true riches and true honor. Again, going back to the verses before, these ideas of riches and wealth, though they, they are, can be ascribed at times to material uh, accomplishment, it's always associated fundamentally with eternal riches, something more substantive. And this passage is no different because it's comparing it to all the silver you would want, it, there's, it's not even remotely comparable in value. 
So it's putting all of these things in material in the material world in its proper perspective. And then it refers to this value of pleasantness and peace. And then interestingly enough, in verse 18, we'll talk about peacefulness uh, in a moment, but in verse 18 you have this reference, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast are called blessed. And then from there you transition right into this creation language. So it's as though Solomon had in mind Genesis when he was writing some of this, because he says that under this idea of the value of wisdom to the Creator, that the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So you go straight from this reference to the tree of knowledge to this reference to creation and how uh, it was... It was through wisdom or by wisdom that the Lord founded the earth. So if you think about this for a second and think about what happened in the garden, what was it that Adam and Eve were in pursuit of in the garden in Genesis chapter 3? You mean before Satan tempted Eve? No, at the point of temptation in Genesis chapter 3. Well, it would have been equality with God, wouldn't it? Knowledge, right? So this tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? There was something of wisdom and knowledge that was withheld from them by God and could be obtained by some other means or in some other source. And right there in the garden was also what else? A different tree. A tree of life, right? And so this really is a a re-sort of casting of this, this... fundamental principle, this fundamental truth about human nature and sin and the pursuit of wisdom versus folly. And that's this, that we have a tendency, if you just want to keep the metaphor going, we have a tendency to reach for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than, the, that rather than reach for the fruit of the tree of life. And wisdom calls for us to reach for the, knowledge, the, the fruit of the tree of life. That as we pursue wisdom, then in, therein lies the tree of life. Those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast are called blessed. This has implications of eternal life, of eternal bliss, of eternal joy. And then he talks about the, the creation. This actually is elaborated in much more detail, or, or this, this idea of wisdom at, at present in creation in Proverbs chapter 8. Listen to Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 to 31. The Lord possessed me, speaking of wisdom, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above, and when he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress its, his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was his daily delight. Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. This gives this personification again of wisdom, 
and placing and just saying that God created the world through wisdom. It was not just a work of his power, but it was a work of his intellect and his wisdom in creation. So again, placing this supreme value on wisdom. You got to remember the context here. This is a father instructing a son, and what happens oftentimes in those instructional contexts is a a, a debate, a battling back against the father's instruction. And so this elevation of wisdom, this, this putting supreme value on it to say, even in creation, even in the Lord exhibiting his ultimate eternal power, wisdom was there. It was created, the world was created by God through his wisdom. Every bit of it. Waltke says this, human wisdom that entails sobriety, sound judgment, discretion, careful planning, hard work, patience, and all the other virtues taught in Proverbs finds its basis within that broad scope of the Lord's wisdom. If the Lord, with wisdom as his tool, accomplished the wonders of the various phases of creation, setting the earth on its foundations by splitting the primeval waters and setting the heavens in their appointed place and watering the earth with dew from its clouds, Think what his revealed wisdom will do in the lives of those who find it. That's sort of the grand exclamation that's being declared here. My son, understand this. That we're not just speaking about things that are going to help you make a good decision about choosing a wife or about making an investment or about planning your house. All these different practical things that that wisdom can be applied to. We're talking about wisdom that was present in creation, that informed creation, that was part of what God used in creating the world. And so this wisdom that we're called to pursue, that we're called to seek after, has that kind of an eternal value. It should not be scorned, it should not be shunned, it should not be rejected, it should not be substituted for earthly wisdom or being wise in your own eyes. And then he narrows it down to the value of wisdom to the son. My son, verse 21, chapter 3. Do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. I love what this says. This, 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 the, the major thrust of this value statement about wisdom directed squarely on the sun in this particular case. It speaks of surety and peace. That's the fundamental outcome. That's the fundamental fruit of wisdom. And it even goes so far to describe the peaceful sleep, the peaceful rest that comes to those who are walking in wisdom. Just think about your own life. Think about your own sleep your own restfulness. Is it easy to sleep when you're restless? That's kind of the whole point of being restless, right? You can't really sleep. You can't really get rest. You're restless. Well, what oftentimes 
do we attribute restlessness to? Worry, anxiety, discontent, frustration, anger, emotions that we've allowed to get kind of out of control, fear of the future, fear of the unknown, fear about how God's going to work this out. I mean, just concern about life, concern about our kids. I mean, over and over and over again, right? We become restless. Our souls become restless. And oftentimes, if we look at our own, the source of all that thinking, we have to acknowledge that we are not thinking and walking in wisdom in those moments. We are not seeing our life in reference to this creator who created the world through wisdom. We are not seeing our lives as in his hands. We are not viewing who God is and who we are in him correctly. And we're allowing the cares of this world and the cares of this life to create restlessness. And so Solomon is saying to his son, you want your foot to be sure? You want to rest well? You want to sleep well? You want to be whole and wholesome? You want to not have a fear of sudden terror when the ruin of the wicked comes? You want confidence that your foot will not be caught? Walk in wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Do not scorn wisdom. Do not get caught up in your own desires that compete against this pursuit of wisdom. Recognize that there is, there is joy and blessedness of a whole different kind that is obtained in the pursuit of wisdom. There is a deep happiness and contentment and joy that is obtained in the actual acquisition and application of wisdom. And there is tremendous blessing and blessedness that comes in retaining, holding on to, humbly opening your heart continually to wisdom. Never, never feeling a sense of arrival. Never taking pride in all the wisdom that you've gained to this point. Always being open to the counsel of wise people and the application of that wise counsel. Wisdom has supreme value. And it's highlighted here in this passage. Well, he goes on to this practical instruction. We'll look at this next week when he speaks about the practice of wisdom among neighbors and really some application of wisdom principles and how we live in community with other people. So we'll take up, take up that next time. All right. Any other thoughts or comments before we go? It is hot and stuffy in here, is it, it not? Is hot I mean, it's just very I uncomfortable. Whew. Actually, that's on a different system, so probably not. Yeah, Hopefully not. All right, well, let's pray and we'll be dismissed and we can maybe go cool off before we have to gather again.